0: He tēnei nā te reo irirangi o there are holes. There should be more Māori voices in mainstream media, and I mean that across the spectrum, from regional newspapers to you know our bigger media outlets. And I know TV news are definitely doing their part to diversify the newsroom, um, but I, I print media and publishing media have got such a long way to go.
1: That was Leonie Hayden talking to MediaWatch after Waitangi Day back in 2016. Now back then she was the editor of Mana, the groundbreaking Māori current affairs magazine founded more than 30 years earlier. And now she's leaving a bit of a hole herself because she's leaving her current job editing Atea, the Māori and Indigenous content channel of digital media outlet The Spin-Off. Announcing her departure recently, she said that she'd talked a lot over the past five years about Māori journalism falling between the cracks of the government's broadcasting funding agency New Zealand On Air and the Māori broadcasting funding agency Tamangai Pāho. And she said she had feared that Māori perspectives could disappear from our front pages as a result. But now...
0: All of a sudden, that's not true. It's a strange time to be dropping out of the media, just as it's flooded with public money for Māori reporting roles and there are too few experienced journalists to fill them. For the first time in my life, I could have my pick of amazing high-paid jobs. And instead, I'm gapping it. Typical.
1: Well, it's certainly ironic, but how come Leonie Hayden's saying that Māori journalism's suddenly gone from financial famine to feast? Well, partly because more effort and more money than ever before is being put into upping the number of Māori journalists in training and in newsrooms, as well as into the range and quantity of Māori content coming out of them. And some media outlets are doing this because they promised to previously, among them RNZ. Just before Leonie Hayden spoke out on MediaWatch five years ago, RNZ had been lashed by Willie Jackson, who was then the head of the iwi radio group Te Whakaururu and also the boss at urban Māori broadcaster Radio Wātea. Here he is on Media Watch at that time, back in 2016, clashing with RNZ's then head of content, Carol Hirschfeld, about RNZ's commitment to Te Ao Māori
2: not one Māori is good enough to front a frontline national radio news show. I'm absolutely not telling you that, and and I'm looking you in the eye, and I can tell you that
3: we certainly
2: are addressing that situation. I'm I'm sure you are, but it's an indictment on this organisation that that is an example of institutionalised racism in this country, because they have clearly preferenced Pākehā culture over Māori culture. But
4: you need to give us a chance to to change Willie, <clears throat> and we are
2: changing it. Well, I, I accept. I, I, I accept that the intentions are good.
1: Now, damning stats on RNZ's level of Māori content that Willie Jackson used back in 2016 were dodgy, but some of his criticisms did hit home, and RNZ responded with a Māori strategy that's boosted the presence and scope of Māori news and journalism in its output and its newsrooms since then. And five years on, incidentally, Willie Jackson himself is much better placed to make change in Māori media. He's now the Minister of Māori Development in charge of a new review of Māori Broadcasting. Now, other media companies besides RNZ have either boosted their commitment to Te ao Māori in recent times, or at least pledged to. But the main reason for the sudden plethora of pūtia for Māori media projects that Leodi Hayden mentioned earlier is the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Now, that's an injection of $55 million into the media by the current government, and this time Māori journalism is a key part of the plan. Guidelines issued early on declared that the fund must actively promote the principles of Te Tiriti o Waitangi and New Zealand On Air pledged to work with Māori journalism to, in its words, ensure parity of needs and interests. And the guidelines also invited proposals made by Māori and about Māori perspectives, issues and interests prioritising the needs of Māori. And when it started handing out the money last July, almost 40% of it went to projects benefiting Māori journalism. Now, some of these were small projects, the Rotorua Weekenda newspaper, for example, printing a weekly bilingual section, and Victoria University of Wellington Student Magazine got a smaller sum to do something similar. But some plans were much more ambitious.
4: Have you ever wondered what it would feel like to share your community's voice with the nation? This could be your moment, your launch pad to an exciting career. Go to thadythoughtjournalism.co.nz to find out more.
1: The Tarito scheme, training 25 new journalists and cadets, is now up and running, and it's backed by four major media companies. And several major and medium-sized media outlets have also secured public interest journalism fund money for a partnership editor to join them. Now this, in the words of New Zealand On Air, is to help them build relationships with mana and Māori organisations. But there's been pushback on that from some of those who reckon it's actually a form of editorial interference and it's inconsistent with the essential independence of our news and media. And we'll hear more about that later. But as Leonie Hayden mentioned in the spin-off recently, all this new commissioning, training and funding has created an unforeseen and sudden shortage of journalists. Now, all this was aired at a recent summit called by the broadcasting funding agency New Zealand On Air, which runs the Public Interest Journalism Fund, and also at a subsequent hui of Māori Journalists Association, Kāwea Torongo. Now, among them was Graham Pryor, who's the general manager at Radio Water, the biggest and most established station in the iwi radio network. So, what has the Public Interest Journalism Fund done for his newsroom?
2: We've been successful in... The Pijf Fund, you know, Public Interest Journalism Fund. there's seven new people starting, so um, that's the big outcome, I suppose, so far. We, we've some are started, and some are coming on, very soon, so we, we'll get going with a lot more content coming out of Waitea, and uh, and and being fortunate in having the News and Current Affairs contract with the Māngai Bawa funding, so we supply support. Diwi Radio um, with that and um, that content that goes out. So one of the first funding rounds was more or less about programmes and individual
1: bits of content or projects. One of those was um, Pākewāka, that looked like it was going to be expanded. In fact, Raewyn Rash herself said it's the opportunity to turn it into something like a Māori
2: morning report. Is that something you pursue? So has uh, have started the, the, new, the new show, it was one day a week initially and now um, we've transferred it to the broadcast um, in the morning um, the, as part of the breakfast programme, so yes, it's definitely expanded what the radio station does significantly and uh, it's a current affairs and news style programme. Yes, it's got a, a dedicated staff now with journalists and uh, a producer uh, attached to it, but which it didn't necessarily have the same level of support in the past. So
1: It used to be like a lot of it was Dale, husband, doing fairly lengthy, interesting and informative interviews, uh, on either general news subjects or specifically Māori news issues and perspectives, um, so now will will enable you to be a bit more kind of reporterly
2: with you know, a bit of production effort. Yes, definitely. Um, there's, there's there's stories coming through from the journalists, and uh, but a lot of it, as I said, takes place takes place on air, and so Dale interviewing politicians, Dale interviewing newsmakers from around the around the mutu and uh, that's how that's how the program is put together. So it's live, Monday to Friday. Uh, Pakiwa previously was. Um, you know run at I think Monday afternoon so a, di- a different time slot even so it's um, quite different same name but quite different. Yeah. Now there's a
1: lot of conversation at the summit uh, this week about the fact that there's kind of been a sudden rush of people trying to hire journalists trying to get projects off the ground because of these new roles that have been created so far and more to come have you experienced that is it, is it causing you
2: problems and that you're either losing people or, or can't recruit the ones you want for these new jobs? Um, Not necessarily losing people, but it's definitely been a challenge um, hiring uh, Māori staff. Um, into the programmes that we're setting up, um, you know, Pākeiwaha and the, and the, news, the new, new news roles. So, yes, it's been a challenge. Uh, but it's a good thing. Uh, you know, the fact that the, staff, uh, the funding is concentrated on Māori roles, I think is really really a big positive. And uh, particularly for us, for, you know, for Māori journalists themselves, coming back into the industry or coming to the industry new and starting to train, it's, a, it's been a big positive from that point of view. Why is it now that we're having to
1: see training programs like the ones the Public Interest Journalism Fund is now funding? Why is it only happening now? Because you know we've had Tamangai Paho, a Māori broadcast funding agency, we've had Māori Television, established now for more than 15 years. Why, why is it only now people are saying, hang
2: on, we're not training enough Māori journalists? Māori media has been significantly underfunded for a long, long time, and that's the primary cause of this. And uh, now that there's more investment being made into the sector, we, we're going to have demand... Uh, increase and so you've got supply issues, uh, if you want to look at it that way. And that's basically uh, Māori journalists uh, are not there in the numbers that are required or Māori media experienced people are not there in the numbers required. And it's been quite a long time since there has been a Māori strategy around training um, of multi media people from the start to a higher level. Um, There's been a lot at the...
1: Sorry to interrupt you, but did Tamanga Paho or even Māori television not identify
2: this in the past because they've existed for some time now and they've got their own funding streams... When you run out of resources, um, the, one of the first things that gets cut is training, and that's what's happened. And that's happened across the mainstream media as well. I haven't seen any mainstream media organisations um, implement training programmes like we used to back in the 90s and early 2000s for the last 15, 20 years. So so it's definitely been something the industry has done, and multi media is, is not a lot different. But I have to... Reiterate, you know, that Mighty media has been underfunded for a significant period of time, not just um, a few years. So, that has been an, uh, a creeping thing that's been going on for a long time. And, and why there's this top end, I, all lot, greyheads like me that are in the industry are still there, but we haven't got the middle uh, because there hasn't been any training being taking place.
1: That was Graham Pryor, the General Manager at Radio Wātea, talking to me there at a recent New Zealand On Air summit on the progress of the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Now, as we heard there, the Māori broadcasting funding agency, Ta Pāho, has funded news and journalism, among other things, for a long time now. Indeed, it also had a role in advising on the Māori-focused projects that have been bankrolled by the Public Interest Journalism Fund so far. So, at the summit, I asked Tamang Pāho's head of content, Blake Ihimaida, about those bottlenecks, the significance of treaty partnership principles, and if the Public Interest Journalism Fund was really now just doubling up on the work of Tamang Pāho itself.
0: So we were brought on as a co-agency to help facilitate the allocation of the fund, of the PIJF, um, resetting, I suppose, what the parameters are for the fund, you know, focusing in on um, what does the commitment to Te Tiriti o Waitangi look like, Um, in a sense what does that look like when demonstrated in a newsroom, but little things like that um, I think are what's important um, with our inclusion into the fund.
1: Doesn't it kind of double up? I mean, when I think of funding of Māori journalism and <laughs> uh, the pathway by which it happens from the public, you know, I think, yep. well, that's the job of the Māng A'apahu.
0: So I do think that it's in addition to, um, because we aren't, um, I suppose, in charge of the allocation of the funding, it's still um, passed through NZ On Air. Our influence, I suppose, um, we're able to offer this opportunity as well as advocate for the multimedia sector, provide another opportunity for the working journalists and for agencies. And um, organisations who are interested in producing content in this space, just a further um, opportunity. Because yes, as you mentioned, Te Ipaho Pāho does fund Māori journalism up to a certain point. There isn't much room for other new possible ideas to come through, and um, because we have been funding multimedia and multi journalism for a number of years.
1: Yeah, I mean, people have talked about now kind of shortfall, particularly um, in sometimes sort of junior or entry level mm-hmm. grades, but also middle mm-hmm. grades. But we've had people like you know Gary Wilson and. Mm-hmm. Um, others talking about this for like 40 years why are we still at the point where we're having to start up new projects like Tour? Uh, and and even though we've had separate pathways for funding Maori journalism we haven't had any for the training for the creation of junior journalists coming through the ranks.
0: Well, I think the multimedia sector is kind of catching up as a whole, We're always on the back foot, um, if we look at equity and in terms of, um, you know, funding allocation, we, we don't have enough money to go around for one. But you know, just on your point of, people have been saying this for forty years plus, and why are we still having the same conversation? Well, you know, um, just the inclusion of having. Uh, demonstration of commitment to Te Tiriti o Waitangi included as a key criteria. Uh, this has been around for 180 years and only now are we decided, uh, have we decided to add it in as a criteria. And with much, you know, dismay and um, a few concerns here and there about it, but I can see it as a really working, a living way of, of showing, actually, for our mass media organisations to really put their money where their mouth is, I suppose, and, and make sure that our stories are told in the right way.
1: But is it maybe doing things that, Tamangaa Paho and others perhaps should have been doing before now.
0: We can't focus, we can't prioritise that amount of funding for one specific genre of content because we are um, still underfunded. We haven't had a funding increase for a number of years. Um, if I'm looking at it um, through the lens of commitment to te tiriti o Waitangi and what that means to you know, average New Zealander as opposed to uh, the lens that we as Te Manga come from, which is Māori media, Sometimes it is a little bit tricky to understand, um, and I just think as a nation we've got a lot of work to do um, to really truly understand what the commitment actually looks like in practice. Having, creating space in any organisation, in any newsroom, that includes, um, you know, Whakaro Māori, Matauranga Māori, is better for the organisation as a whole. It's it's awesome, and we can actually see um, our mass media organisations, you know, naturally including it in their proposals and, and knowing that it's not going away.
1: New Zealand only made mention of the fact that um, Māori media had asked for a, a kind of division in terms of the numbers being reported back of where the funds money is going into projects by, for and about Māori mm-hmm. and then stuff perhaps more generally reflecting mm-hmm. Māori perspectives. Do you think that's important to distinguish those two things? We should know how much is being devoted to one thing and how much to the other?
0: Yeah, I do think... Um commitment to Te Tiriti o Waitangi. Te Tiriti Waitangi was signed between Māori and Pākehā, so making sure that we genuinely reflect that criteria um, in the sense that at the end of the fund we can, um, we can see how much money exactly has been portioned to, apportioned to Māori media, um, but also to companies who have a focus in either employing Māori staff or telling Māori stories themselves. It's all the same.
1: So with the treaty in mind... Mm-hmm. That is quite an important distinction, right? That's the stuff that's by for and about Māori media specifically, and then stuff that might be for, you know, what. Uh, no-one likes to use the term now, but mainstream media, national media, whatever, that reflects Maori perspectives. I think perspective. are
0: important. I think mass media or content made um, for and about, or New Zealanders, or content um, produced by the mass media organisations, they have a role to play as well. You know, to challenge stereotypes or to challenge hegemony in our country, it does require genuine commitment creating those safe spaces for Māori to be able to tell the stories on those channels and those networks on the mainstream channels, as you call it. So um, I do think that both have a part to play.
1: That's Blake Ihimaera, the head of content at the Māori Broadcasting Funding Agency, Te Paho. Now, so far, the Public Interest Journalism Fund has created 139 new jobs or roles in journalism, some of them at the entry level, like those 25 Tarito cadetships, and some are at a more senior level, like those partnership editors that we mentioned earlier. RNZ, TVNZ, the Otago Daily Times publisher Allied Press and Discovery, the owner of TV Channel 3, will all get six-figure sums to employ a partnership editor for up to two years. One of those promoting the idea was Mihinarangi Forbes, the current host of TV current affairs show The Hui, and RNZ's Māori politics show Party People. She's also the co-founder of media company Aotearoa Media Collective and alongside broadcaster Stacey Morrison – She's also been training workers and contributors at iwi radio stations around the country recently in a special journalism programme funded through the Public Interest Journalism Fund called Komeromero. So I asked her how partnership editors might make a difference in our media companies, but first, why, at a time when Māori journalists are needed now, is a grassroots training in journalism like this only just beginning?
4: You work for an organisation that's state-owned, that's RNZ, with a long, long, long history... You know, 50, 60 years of being able to build and build and build um, your staff and your capacity. When you consider Maori Television started in two thousand and five, correct me if I'm wrong, four maybe. And two thousand and
1: four. That's correct. Yeah.
4: yeah, and starting kind of afresh. That's not that long ago. So you know, the expectations that that should be upstanding and being this kind of champion for Maori broadcasting is it's too it's too much of a stretch, in my opinion. Um, and because when you're working inside those organisations on the ground floor, you've got, you know, the same uh, expectations as other channels to produce the news and to have the lead stories and get the unique stories and stuff. But you just don't have the same resource or the same capacity because we haven't had the same training. I'm probably one of the last to have had a cadetship at TVNZ, and that followed like a good ten years of really intense, good training over there. In the mainstream site, site and in the Te Karere, Marae, wakuhuya. at the time probably uh, Māori and Pacific programmes took up a whole wing of TVNZ, would have been about 100 people working in there and got to the late 90s and that kind of was all turned down again and um, we haven't really had anything like that since. And also the other thing is I think that um, organisations are now seeing some of the stories that are coming through with their Maori and Pacifica and um, other ethnic reporters and thinking, couldn't have told that one ourselves. I think people are kind of coming to terms with that and thinking, you know, newsroom bosses and thinking we need more of that, but we just need to work out how we're going to get them without stealing them from everybody else. So, yeah, this is important, the training side.
1: The other aspect of what you're doing is is the Partnership Editors Scheme some comment in the past about that, people seeing a bit of nervousness um, in the term in your presentation, it comes up cultural safety, which is something that makes some people nervous. Is there an element of censoriousness about this, or you'll have you know, editorial control or something, as some people seem to be saying?
4: Uh, well, okay, cultural safety to me um, is making sure that when you build these nests, For these young people to come into your nest, you have to make sure that it's a safe place for them to land. And traditionally, um, newsrooms haven't been like that for Māori or Pacific journalists, especially if you're young. And then you've got that power imbalance as well that goes on there. And then you've got that real competitive nature that bloody journalists have, especially daily news ones. And, you know, you might have um, two kids at Kohanga, and you've got to drop them off at 8.30 in the morning... And you're more likely, if you're Māori, to have children at a younger age. So it's about um, understanding the people who work for you. So that's the cultural safety thing. I had an example of um, partnership editors because I I worry about people thinking that it's around censorship, and I wouldn't think that there was anyone sitting at a computer saying, you can't say that, say that this way. I doubt if that would ever happen, and I I hope it doesn't.
1: And can a partnership editor under this programme be an actual resource for individual reporters who maybe aren't in the head office but don't have connections, and know they don't have connections with um, iwi that's someone they can turn to for help, advice, and just an introduction.
4: Yeah, I think a partnership editor can be whatever you need it to be. So some organisations like um, TVNZ, you know, they've already got their Māori plans and stuff in place, so what they will need will be completely different from somebody who's just beginning their their journey, if you like. Um, It is what you want it to be. It's whatever will make the place a better place to work in for all reporters.
1: But from time to time, they might have to step in and say, actually, what you're doing there will be offensive or is omitting some important point of history.
4: I do that anyway. I do that at RNZ. I'm, I'm sure that you've heard me getting into, not scuffles but discussions with people when I was there. I do it everywhere I go. So we're already doing it, and you guys are already working with us. And the only reason that we're allowed to be in those newsrooms is because we're journalists. Um, and that's a problem because there's only a few of us and we can't do everything. And so the partnership Editor is in the tent of bringing Matauranga Māori to a newsroom. Um, and look, if they're a journalist, it's great. Um, and I'm sure that they'll get invited to do some editing when there's no editor around. But if they're not a journalist and if they're just a tikanga expert or somebody who's been around news or whatever, then they probably won't do that. That'll be for the organisation to determine.
1: Well, the court is continuing right now on some of these topics, so we will get to it. Thanks so go. much. That's Mihina Forbes, broadcaster and co-founder of the media company Aotearoa Media Collective, which is training new Māori journalists with money from the Public Interest Journalism Fund. And also, as we heard there, she's backing that concept of partnership editors for mainstream media to improve their coverage of Māori issues. So if you are a media editor or executive, do you really want a partnership editor at your side telling you whether you're abiding by treaty principles and incorporating Mātauranga Māori properly? or not? Well, two who do are James Frankham, who's the director at Kofi Media, formerly the publisher of Mana Magazine, and Rebecca White, the editor of Kofi Media's main magazine now, NZ Geographic.
3: It's really allowed us to um, bring on board uh, what we're calling a kaiwhakatiki hurua, which is a, a, sort of a, a partnership editor that, or co-editor that can work alongside our uh, editor, Rebecca White, um, a guy called Nick Lowe who will uh, help us to um, give uh, Māori stories both the prominence uh, that they deserve but also to tell them in a way that we haven't been able to tell them before. We've and
1: he's been a contributor to the magazine in the past, right?
3: Uh, Nick has re- written for the magazine in the past and we've published an extract of his, um, of his latest book, um, uh, this is a completely different relationship, the one that we hope will be transformative not just for the way that we do journalism but also for the way in which we run the media company which is um, a, quite a peculiar and interesting challenge to tackle but it's part of being a modern media enterprise and either you go down that road or you don't.
1: This concept of the partnership editor has had a bit of criticism. Opposition politicians have pointed to it, saying it's um, possibly a stifling of freedom of speech. Uh, some veteran older journalists or retired journalists have also said that they see it as possibly crimping editorial freedom. As an editor, do you have any wariness about having a, a partnership editor rather than just an advisor or a, as part of this um, arrangement?
4: I think. Earlier the point was made that journalistic tikanga and Māori tikanga are not the same thing at all and that's something that the industry struggled with a lot. I think that having a partnership editor, is, will, that will be a person who's able to look at both of those things and figure out a way forward that incorporates both of them. That's certainly not something that I can do as a Pākehā New Zealander so I'm very excited to have um, someone who's Māori on board to be able to blend those things and chart a way forward for journalism.
1: And James, you described it as something that a modern media organisation just ought to do, or decide to do, or not. But this is a means of making it happen within media companies, whether they're big ones or small?
3: Yeah, I mean, Te -te -te laid out a relationship between uh, Māori and Pākehā that uh, even today we're still struggling to understand um, both parties, and I think we're getting better at understanding um, those roles and responsibilities that we have, and incorporating those into our working life and into our personal lives. Uh, And that's part of modern society and being a part of modern society and running a business and running a media enterprise, um, you need to take leadership in some of these things. You need to understand your own roles and responsibilities as a media company, and you might as well make those changes and get in the forefront of this, because we all know which way the wind is blowing, and there are huge opportunities for media companies to embrace our responsibilities under Titidity, but also... Those the the stories of Māori society and much of our audience are Māori as well. So, uh, there's just no way that we can continue to ignore those those responsibilities.
1: And finally, um, this is only a time limited project, isn't it? A year and a half more to run. It uh, pretty much runs out in 2023. Um, do you think? Do you, do you worry that, a change of government, they certainly won't support it. They've spoken out against it. Even the current government may not renew it. Do you worry that this is something that, in four years' time. Say uh, has just run out?
3: Yeah, of course. I mean, this is, allows us to do uh, transformational work uh, in the media landscape, and it would be nice to have a longer runway in which we can do that and that the public can benefit from what is, uh, you know, definitely public interest journalism. It has to serve the public interest to do this work. Um, and so it's not a matter of just being something that uh, media organisations can. Uh, take advantage of or as a handout to um, commercial companies it it has to be in the public interest and you know if if nothing else you know what else should the government be promoting (laughs) As things that benefit the public and benefit taxpayers and uh, allow us a better vision of who we are as a society and where we're going.
4: Um, Going back to the point about the partnerships editor I would say that Journalistic freedom isn't very free if you only have access to half the story because you don't have the relationships or the understanding to be able to access the other half of society
3: that's there.
1: That was Rebecca White, the editor of Kowwhai Media's NZ Geographic magazine, and James Frankham, the director and publisher at Kowwhai Media, formerly also the publisher of Mana magazine. Now, as we heard there, the Public Interest Journalism Fund is, as things stand, a one-off investment which comes to an end next year, and one which opposition political parties actually oppose. Others in the media reckon that private media companies ought to pay for their own editors, and they shouldn't really need the public purse to pay for their journalism either, or don't deserve it. And all those at the summit were well aware that this is, like other government interventions in public broadcasting and media in recent times, not a long-term strategy or commitment. The money runs out in 2023, but the Public Interest Journalism Fund has entrenched the idea that more of our media will depend upon public money in the future, and some say the success or failure of the Public Interest Journalism Fund simply depends on precisely what the fund is spent on and what it achieves which will have an impact even after the last of the money goes out the door at New Zealand On Air. That recent New Zealand On Air summit was also something of a progress report on the entire fund, now halfway through its lifespan with two-thirds of the money already committed and the priorities for the remainder yet to be set. We'll follow developments on that here on MediaWatch in the future.